0: The podcast. Woohoo! Oh, that was like
1: syncopated. I like that, Julia. That's good. Every every episode, it's a different intro, and I love it so much. I'm training myself. We're consistent in our inconsistency, and I think it's what Mm -hmm. makes us beautiful and unique. Every podcast is unique. That's what we're here to provide.
0: (laughs) We're not mass produced. Nope, we are we, not. We're not coming off an assembly. Line. Tell them why we're not mass-produced. Exactly <gasps> how we know.
1: Oh, because this is our second time trying to record this episode, and by trying to record, I mean we thought we had recorded <laughs> oh, this episode perfectly. It was great. It was like two and a half hours long. We had so much to talk about, it was great conversation, and then we realized that I'm a dumbass and never set up the recording, uh, so we triple-chatted. This is recording, um, but yeah, I am still really sorry, Julia, that I oh, made you no. talk about this book for two hours. In your defense,
0: you had just moved to your new house, you were unpacking, the movers had just come, like, there was a lot going on for you, so.
1: (laughs) It's been, it's been a busy couple of weeks, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad I wrote relatively detailed synopses for this book (laughs) in these chapters, because I don't remember anything that happened in these first three (laughs) chapters, because I read them so long ago. (laughs)
0: I I should remember them so at least maybe I could talk about
1: it. You'll do great you know I well I'll figure it out. I took really good notes (laughs) I think. I took lots of notes on like things that I had questions about um and what I didn't understand but uh how are you doing Julia? What are you drinking tonight?
0: I'm doing well. Um, happy post Christmas. I mean, mm-hmm. this will air post New Year's, but definitely I am really <laughs> excited to be getting close to the end of 2020. I'm drinking a Valpolicella that my dad bought. He accidentally bought. This is the struggle with buying wine online, right? He accidentally yep. bought a um. I don't. It's a one and a half liter bottle of Valpolicella. <laughs> I'm from Illy, so that's what I'm drinking. I'm finishing off the bottle. I love that you have the bottle in your room with you. <laughs> I didn't want to go downstairs, have to refill, so I just brought it back up here. My dad was like, Just finish it. And I was like, Okay, there's still a solid, like, almost quarter of the bottle in there left. So your dad's trying to get you drunk. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> happy Sunday. <laughs> I didn't have that much over dinner, so I think I'm making up for it now. <laughs> um, yeah, not not much otherwise going on. How, how are you doing? How's... How? It's good. I'm slowly starting to get organized. My closet's
1: done, which is a huge relief. The next stage is organizing my bathroom, which I hate doing, so I've been putting that off as long as possible. I still don't have a mattress because Amazon refuses to deliver oh my mattress. God. I'm so sorry. So I've been sleeping on an air mattress for like two weeks. It's really fun, um, but it's fine. That's a you tragedy. Know, going with the flow, we got my mom's bed set up and her whole room pretty much
0: <laughs> organized. At least the important part is set up. Hers. Well, and
1: that's the. I think the important thing that really happened is I learned how to use a power drill so i put together the bed and the furniture downstairs which has been a learning curve for me but it's really fun i've been really
0: enjoying it i'm
1: proud of you thank you there are some things i can't do though like clean dryer ducts vents whatever they are and uh mount um, TV. i can't do that either <laughs> yeah so i i had someone come out and Clean out my dryer vents yesterday. Uh And I had a guy come out today and mount my TV downstairs. So, so slowly but surely, making progress on that. I got all the bedding for my mom's or for my guest room ordered. It's going to be very (laughs) Ravenclaw. Okay, but it's not because she didn't pick any of the decor (laughs) and she hates all of my choices. So, (laughs) (laughs) there's that. It's going to be a very Ravenclaw themed room. Uh, I ordered some really cute collage wall art from Archive Sunday and ordered stuff from Harry Potter, Potter, the Harry Potter line
0: from Pottery Barn Teen. You're in so deep, so deep. (laughs) I really am. You should just honestly hire an interior, a real interior designer to come in and like make it into an actual Ravenclaw house room. Like. With the fancy walls and like the nice carpeting and like the old bed and stuff,
1: Uh, that costs more money than I want to spend on a guest bedroom.
0: <laughs> but think about how cool it would look.
1: <laughs> it would look really cool, but that's also just the furniture <laughs> and the decoration <laughs> would cost me like ten thousand dollars. It's worth it. It's not. <laughs> You have a bed, you can sleep in it. For, as a
0: guest, you're fine. I want to come to a real Ravenclaw bedroom. Come on.
1: Yeah, it'll be fine. Um. Anyways, that's a long-winded way of just saying my move in is going well. We got the kitchen all unpacked. I sent you a picture of all of the teacups that I've inherited. Oh my god. You have a
0: whole tea
1: parlor in your kitchen. More than that. Like, it's insane. I have three shelves Of teacups in my kitchen. They're all hand painted and hand hand crafted. Why? (laughs) So my great grandma, who on my maternal grandfather's side, um, apparently that was like her thing. Like she collected. Unique hand painted teacups and saucers. That's gonna be
0: me. That's a hundred percent gonna be me.
1: Yeah, well, now I don't have to do it because I already have a collection, <laughs> which is great. So that's all been set up. I have like a little pantry. I'm slowly but surely gonna get a bar cart. Hmm. Um, well, a bar cabinet, I should say. I'm gonna get a bar cabinet, okay, and then. That's also going to be my spot for coffee. It's going to be multifaceted.
0: multifaceted. (laughs) Your two needs, coffee and bar
1: cart. (laughs) Yeah, mix them. Why not? Just all beverages in one place. It's easy. Uh, And then I I still need to order a dining room table. So that's the next big challenge (laughs) is getting a dining room table. I'm just waiting to get my area rug because I want to see if there's navy in it. So I know if I can order the navy chairs that I
0: like. Oh my god. (laughs) You and Blue. You have a relationship that worries me. It's getting toxic.
1: (laughs) My whole house is going to be blue. I'm sorry to tell you. Oh no. I just, I can't come up with another alternative. Okay. What I'm drinking tonight, because that's what I was supposed to be answering. (laughs) Um, I'm going with a pineapple theme. Okay. So I'm, I have a little cup of pineapple soju
0: that I'm oh. drinking
1: out of an Ireland cup. Oh. As multiculturalism exists in this household.
0: I uh, have this soju in an Ireland cup. There's just a lot going on there.
1: Well, and so you can see it's like a really tiny little cup. Sorry listeners, you can't see this, but Julia, you can see this. <laughs> it's a really tiny little cup that I got at the F Cup Food and Wine Festival when I was there last year and it had a Guinness and Baileys milkshake in it that was delicious. Oh, that's And cute. I don't like to throw away sturdy plastics if I can reuse them. So they become part
0: of my... Saving the environment, Mm -hmm. one plastic at a time.
1: Exactly. So they become part of my uh, glassware set. So (laughs) pineapple soju. And then I also have... um, Just because I wanted to have an appropriate buzz for, like, tonight's conversation and... This wasn't going to do it on its own. That's why I supplemented it with the pineapple soju. But it is a pineapple
0: craft cider. Interesting. It's it's, pineapple cider? Yep, gluten-free. I don't think I've ever had that in my life. Well, welcome to California.
1: (laughs) It's been around since 1993, And it is uh, the world's original pineapple cider, so it is is
0: eight. I don't think it's hard to be the original pineapple cider, considering there's probably not a lot of competition out there.
1: Well, and this is how you know that I've moved to California, because tropical fruits and citruses are going to become a much bigger part of my repertoire. Yep. But, you know, I will start, hopefully, incorporating some more sophisticated drinks. aren't those (laughs) two really into our (laughs) podcast discussions i mean i'm i now live right next to napa and sonoma i should get some good california wines to like supplement and i know that your family does not think california has good wines but
0: oh no my dad's favorite wine is from monterey so is that in either of those counties though i thought monterey was somewhere else it's right below right below no, right? It, well, it's right above San Francisco, so it's right below Napa. Is my geography wrong? Have I? I don't has know. Has my work been a lot? I thought your date, your
1: dad, hated California wines.
0: Um, he well, he doesn't. I don't think like
1: Cabernets a whole lot. Oh well, um, I hate Cabernets, so your dad and I have that in common.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, like, California's biggest wine is I w- I think is the Cabernet Sauvignon. That's um, true. Let me let me just check this. I gotta check this. Monterey, California. Oh, sorry, it's not above San Francisco. It's below San Francisco. Yeah, I, I thought, thought it was that. south. I have literally been, I know, in these places, and I don't know how I got there. <laughs> like... <laughs> okay. Anyway,
1: uh, so okay. today, uh, we're gonna talk about. The Cruel Prince, because we're finally doing our next book and like actually getting into the chapters. Uh, So The Cruel Prince by Holly Black, which if you haven't gotten all of the details on this book, when it was published, what we're thinking about it, going into it, go listen to the intro episode, episode 11, and you'll be able to get all the information on it. But we'll be talking about chapters one through three, including the prologue today and just kind of diving into the world of fairy so i'm really excited uh julia why don't you kick us off with the synopses for the poem the prologue in chapter one
0: all right okay so we begin with a beautiful poem from robert graves i mean i guess it's beautiful it's a <laughs> um, poem it's a poem. <laughs> uh, talking about how he would love to be a fairy's child um and that officially opens book one um i should say there's at least two books in here i don't remember if there's three books but um it's like a two-parter it's it's really confusing um to say book one (laughs) it's basically like part one um act one act one there we go um and then moving on from that, we start the prologue, um, where we begin with an unnamed man showing up on the doorstep of a home out of nowhere, and he is readying to knock. And two twins, Jude and Taryn, age seven, with Jude being our protagonist, um, are they're playing and around. our narrator, yes, and our narrator, <laughs> interesting narrator. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> With their older sister, older scissor, older sister, he who is a little bit off. She has strange ears, among other things, um, and they're watching TV, or she's watching TV. The man knocks, and Jude answers, um, and realizes, like, there's something weird about this, so she calls her mother. Um, he has a green tint to his skin, and looks kind of similar in a different way to the way her sister looks different. So then Jude's mother comes along, and apparently, as we find out, find out rather dramatically, and quickly. Jude's, <laughs> yes, Jude's mother fled from him while he was at war and faked her death, and um, was pregnant at the time with Vivian, and so she ended up birthing Vivian in a different place, and then remarried to Jude and Terran's father, and had the twins from the, that marriage. So Jude tries to get her sisters to go upstairs after her mother says, you know, leave us and. Then her dad comes in from the back with an axe, which he forged in his own forge <laughs> in the backyard. You know, your ba- good old backyard forge. I have a backyard forge, don't you? We all have a backyard forge. Of course. <laughs> um, And he tries to hit the guy, but misses. And so the guy stabs him with a sword. <laughs> And then the mother is trying to run away, and he stabs the mother in the back um, with some remorse over that one. Clearly not the dad, but with some remorse for the mother. Um, and so then he tries to get Vivian or Vivi to come with him um, because it turns out that, of course, as we found out, that she is his daughter, and so he feels that he has some responsibility, plus he feels that he has responsibility over the twins. But then Chu tries to attack him. To basically no effect, like because she's seven happens. and I he's don't think a he fairy. I he even like, acknowledges her. Yeah, But Um, and so he tells Vivi she needs to come with him to Eltham. She refuses. He orders her, given that he is her father. Um, and so she, Vivi, and the, her little sisters pack up, and um, he promises they'll make sure they're well taken care of. Vivi promises him that she will hate him for the rest of her life. Um. They get on a horse, and they go off to Fairyland, and that is the prologue in a very, very, very condensed nutshell.
1: <laughs> so
0: many things happened in, like, four pages. It yeah. was a very intense, action-packed prologue. Yep. Um, oh, and it should be noted that Taryn was just crying during all of this. So, Jude <laughs> was fighting, Taryn was crying, Vivi was oh, Brand. just, what is going on? Yeah, true. Um, and then we get into chapter one, which... <laughs> is a one sentence um letting us know briefly that the world of fairy has no human amenities like fish sticks or tv or ketchup so Mm. thanks jude
1: useful information yeah really helps set this change (laughs) for us all right so chapter two we're finally up to the modern day story um jude's aged a little bit uh, so the chapter opens with her getting her hair braided by an imp named Tatterfell, who helped raise her for the time that she spent in Fairyland, giving her special ointments and treatments to help level the playing field a little bit. And I think uh, when we first recorded this, Julie, you wanted to make sure that it was known that some of these ointments and treatments made sure that she was resistant to certain kinds of magic and oh, influences.
0: Yeah. She wears a necklace. I'm completely blanking on what the necklace is made out of. Um, But she wears a necklace which helps her to basically resist. Oh, here it is. Um, Dried rowan berries um, so she can resist enchantments. That is important. I'm not going to say we're we're going to remember that. Yes. I'm going to (laughs) remember
1: that. Maybe. (laughs) Um, But then she can also see through glamours, which Mm -hmm. is. Not as important, but important to me. I think that's really cool. Um, So Tatterfell is braiding her hair and helping her get ready because there's an important event coming up that night where two things could really happen potentially for Jude. Uh, She could potentially find a suitor, which would allow her to join the High Court of Fairy and really ingrain herself in the fairy world. Uh, but she doesn't want to find a suitor to earn her place at High Court. She wants to actually earn her place based off of some sort of skill, which we'll learn a little bit later in the chapter. So Jude's been in fairy for – or Elfheim. There's so many names for this land, I don't actually know <laughs> what's correct, but she was calling it fairy, so I'm calling it Faerie. Uh, she's been in fairy for 10 years, which, if we do math correctly, makes her 17 years old at the time this story is happening. And although she clearly sticks out because she's human and not like the rest of the beings in this land, she's been well cared for and has grown to somewhat love Maddock, who is the unnamed man from the prologue, um, as her caretaker. So he's the man that stole them away, but Jude has love for him because he's he's taken really good care of her over the years. So her sister Taryn, her twin, is excited for the i think we decided we're gonna call it a ball as the event yeah. though it's never explicitly named they just say they're going to court so it's very like regency england vibes yeah. that there are just like
0: throwing a party you know there's
1: they're going to court it's one of many events i guess that involve being with the court um so they're excited for the ball that's happening that night and Taryn says that they're going to have fun there even though that normally they hide in the shadows and don't interact with anyone Uh, Vivi doesn't want to come and feels absolutely no obligation to please her father by dressing correctly or showing up at all so they end up going out the the two twins end up going outside and meeting Maddox and his second wife Oriana And Jude lies when he asks her where Vivi is. She says that she hasn't seen her. Oriana tells the girls to not eat, drink, or dance while at the court. And we get more details on Oriana from Jude's perspective. Basically that she barely tolerates the girls and thinks that they get preferential treatment over her own son, Oak. But Oak thinks of the girls as his sisters and treats them like family. Uh, One other thing to note here for Chapter 2 is it's really easy for Jude to lie to everyone because fairies can't lie so they don't necessarily realize when they're being lied to because it's just not a part of their normal day-to-day discourse. So Jude lies a lot as we'll continue to learn. <laughs> and and will annoy you. <laughs> and it will annoy me and I will talk about it in great detail when we get to the commentary because it, mm, Okay uh chapter so that's the end of chapter two chapter three we're actually getting to go to this court ball thing so the court happens at the palace uh during nighttime so they don't even arrive there until midnight and they go magically through this stone wall which takes them inside a hill so the palace is built into the hill kind of like dwarven kingdoms and other fantasy stories if you're familiar with those As they ride through the hill, they see all sorts of fairy folk out on display, and Jude's kind of smitten with it. Um, She's just generally in love with the whole world of fairy and and really wants to stake her place in that world. She's hoping that Maddox sees her as a knight. So this is where we learn that she wants to earn her place by becoming a knight and kind of being in the army. Um... And she doesn't want Maddox to just kind of see her as an errant stepdaughter, but she wants to be respected for the value that she can add to the society. So they all go to greet High King Eldred. And we learn he is the grandson of Queen Mab who conquered Faerie. We also learn that because of Queen Mab's conquering and because they're descended from her, all of his heirs have some sort of animal characteristic associated with them because of their lineage. So we first meet Balakin, who's the eldest, in Dane, and we learn that Balakin has deer-like features. Basically, he has hooves and deer legs, while Dane has bear fur. So this is something that's unique to this royal line when I think it comes to, like, the high society, the really important fairies, but, like, lower, lesser types of fairies may have these animalistic characteristics, but it's not something that's associated with the, the highborn. Mm-hmm which I'm making up all these names for the social structures because I still don't understand the social structures, but we'll get there. Um, so Balakin and Dane are typically at odds with one another, so it's a bit weird to see them interacting at the court, but it is what it is. And they're also at odds with their sister, Elwin so the court typically has three distinct factions or, or circles of influence, as Jude calls them. So, Balakin leads the circle of grackles, which I looked this up and it is a bird. (laughs) If anyone doesn't know what a grackle is, so it fits with the theme because all of them are named after birds. So, he leads the circle of grackles, and those are Faye who love merriment and don't want to stop having fun. Though, apparently, according to Jude, Balakin has always been very composed and sober when speaking to her, but And she generally wants to steer clear of his circle. She doesn't want to hang out with him and his friends. And then Elowen, who's the second born, the first daughter, leads the circle of larks. And they favor art over all things. And since Jude's artistic, they pay no notice to her and she doesn't really care what they're doing. And then Dane is the third born. He leads the circle of falcons. And they favor knights and warriors. So, Matic, because he's a general, as we learned in this chapter. He has favor in this circle. And this is the one that Jude wants to break into. So, um, she can become a knight. So, she's just waiting for a chance to prove herself with a blade. After, so much happens in chapter three. Oh yeah. <laughs> we just get a lot of backstory that I think is important to explain. To all the listeners, because if you're not reading along, you're going to get very lost very quickly, I'm guessing. So, after we get introduced to all the different circles by Jude, who, uh, as we mentioned, is narrating, uh, her and Taryn go off to enjoy the party, ditching their normal hiding spot. And they grab an apple and start eating it together, because... They don't really care that Oriana told them not to eat because they can clearly tell the difference between fairy food and human food. So they grab a human apple. They see a girl, a pickpocket, an ogre, and she turns back and winks at Jude. And then once she's off, the ogre realizes he's been robbed, but he gets distracted by some fire and some other things going on in the party, so the thief's long gone and, and makes it away. Or makes away with the purse that she stole from the ogre. Taryn then suggests that her and Jude take turns dancing so they can pull one another off the dance floor when needed, and they're trying to work up the courage to start dancing while Jude is giving us more narration details on the royal family. So there are two other sisters, uh, Kalia, who's dancing, and Rhea, who isn't there at all, and the youngest, Prince Carden, who is, according to Jude, the absolute
0: worst
1: and she so you hates know he's gonna guts. be the
0: absolute best
1: <laughs> yep we're gonna love him so much I hate him so far um we'll get into it though so he enters the party and he's there with his three best and worst friends Valerian, Nicasia and Locke or as Julia says Locke I,
0: I don't know how to say it I'm gonna say Locke for your sake Thank you. Locke's
1: just, it's like John Locke. It's easier. Um, But it's fine. So, yeah, his best and meanest friends. We get, Jude gives us descriptions of the four of them. They're all dressed in different colors and accessories, looking super fancy, and also scowling at everybody because they hate the world. (laughs) And they all go to school together, so that's part of the reason why Jude finds them insufferable because she's to spend a lot of time with them. And Unrelated to that narration, but apparently (laughs) Vivi had told Taryn that Carden has a tail uh, and Vivi had seen it while she was swimming, but she never told Jude about it. So when Taryn tells Jude about this, it makes Jude feel a little bit left out. Like she's the only sister that doesn't matter in the little trio of the three of them. So anyways, the four meanies continue to walk through the crowd and jude's hoping that they won't pay attention to her and taryn but to no avail valerian stops and starts pulling on jude's braid and makes fun of her for being ugly but really (laughs) just makes fun of her for looking human which is ridiculous but okay Carden calls him away, but then Carden stops in front of a boy with moth wings who isn't bowing to him. And this little shit tears off one of his wings to make the boy scream to pay for his insolence for not bowing. Uh, And Jude comments that she doesn't know if the boy will be able to grow it back or if he'll ever even be able to fly again. Because she doesn't know if moth wings are like fairy wings or like butterfly wings instead. So the four of them continue on but Locke actually stops to help the boy up and get him to his friends and then he winks at Jude (laughs) like they're sharing a secret basically that he did something nice and doesn't want her to tell anybody about it because they're meanies they can't do anything nice but she doesn't trust that he's actually doing something nice out of the goodness of his heart because she knows that um All of them think that she's scum given her mortality. She just, she trusts them as far as she can throw them, basically. And then Taryn yanks her away to their hiding spot and tells Jude to not give them any reasons to notice her more because they're just trying to keep a low profile. And yeah, that's the end of chapter three. (laughs) You did a great job. Thank you. I took a lot of notes. (laughs) And I still have, I have so many questions about this whole world because like so much information was thrown at us. There's a lot that goes on here. So much. And I'm so confused. Um, And I'm so, you're hearing some of these comments for the second time. So I again apologize, but I'm going to keep them because I'm still confused by them. Um, so, my first comment has nothing to do with the actual chapters. I just really love the little details in the map at the front of this book. And I am a sucker for whenever there's a map in a fantasy book, but I just love, like, the little people (laughs) and fairies that are drawn into the different
0: areas around the map. It's really well illustrated. I wonder who made it. It's a good question. You know what? There's no name. I
1: wonder if it's in the back.
0: I love the mermaid on the bottom left. I know, right? Ugh. Oh, so
1: good. And then there's a little mermaid on the rocks in the bottom right oh, under yeah. the compass. Which that compass is great. Like a bow and arrow is north and acorn is east. <laughs> a leaf is west and school and antlers. <laughs> <is south>. uh. <laughs> Very interesting. I try to not study the map too much because I don't want to spoil myself on names, but I have a feeling that I'm going to come back to it Yeah, a couple there, of times. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I love maps. Uh, I also I don't I don't like YA books that have, like, book structures when they have, like, book one, book two, book three. Yeah. Because this book is under 500 pages. I don't understand. This book's under 400 pages. I don't understand why it needs multiple books.
0: There's a big break. Um, I, I need to look this up again. But, like, as I remember, it's a big break between book one and book two and like as I said probably better call it like part one part two than book one book two because it makes it sound too much like like they could be separate books um I think it'd be more apt to refer to them as like part one or as you said act one act two because what it will get there but like what happens between the two books is like it's a major occurrence it's not like a small thing at all like it shifts the entire dynamic of the next couple books
1: that's fair I yeah maybe she should have just gotten with a different word because when I think of something like book one book two being put into a, a book already I think of more like Lord of the Rings where each of the Lord of the Rings books was actually two sub books and there is so much that happens in each of those books that those sub-books could have been published as separate books and it could have yeah. been a six-part series because there's so much that happens in Lord of the Rings. And that's normal with adult fantasy. I just, <laughs> I worry sometimes that YA fantasy tries to do the same thing when it really shouldn't be because it's otherwise it should be like fully, fully fleshed out worlds in
0: adult fantasy. Yeah. But it is what
1: it is. It's time. I'll get over it. You told
0: me it's okay. I I think it's like a, a breathing point. Like, it's a yeah. reminder for you to, like, there's something that just happened. Take a breath and now come back later. <laughs> like, let it sink in. That's fair. Hopefully, we didn't split up the different books in our schedule. Oh, we should check that. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> think about that. I think should... that I thought of it, though, so I, I would... I would be surprised.
1: That seems like something we would think of, but also yeah. I forgot to press record last time, so who knows? <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> We're professionals It's all well up in the not air. That much. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, one thing I just wanted to note about the poem, again, before we kind of dive mm-hmm. into the prologue, it's a strange poem, for sure, but I thought it was really fitting because. Robert Graves is, coincidentally, a student of Irish mythology, and so was his father. And he was, he's British, but he was the son of an Irish poet. Um, And he was also a classicist. So he studied Irish mythology, and his father studied Irish mythology, and then he also studied Greek and Roman mythology. So you get kind of those different vibes from understanding like the fae from irish mythology but also nymphs and dryads and things from greek mythology that i
0: think it's a good person to like start with as a poetry yeah i i would like to know also how she found this poem like did she just search fairy poems or is this something that she picked up in her research that that she thought would be a really good addition um my guess based on my research of him quickly
1: um is that it was probably something that she came across when doing her research because you wouldn't know to look for him necessarily but you would come across him if you're doing research on the Fey.
0: Mm-hmm. i also just realized this um <laughs> there's a an island in galway bay in ireland called inish Moor. And a lot of Elfam has Innsmore, Inswill, like Innsmere, very similar mm. in kind of things. I really mm-hmm. wonder if she was trying to get very Irish in this book. Um, Actually, you're right,
1: because it's Insmire, Innsmore, and Innsweil, and yeah. those almost look like three
0: continents or three islands. Yeah. Interesting. Just something, something I noticed. Very interesting all right anyway (laughs) let's just dissect the map (laughs)
1: yeah
0: (laughs) oh god okay julia i want to hear your thoughts on this prologue okay well so i what i as i said i think in the intro when i first read this book i read it really quickly um and i think that i read the prologue at the speed that my brain processed it too because like It's so fast, and for someone Mm. like me, that's what I need. Like for me to really get into a book, I need like action. I need a lot of things to go on. I need a lot of information up front, and then let's get to the plot. You know, like we get the rest of the information later. Let's get what we need and move on from there. And like that was, this is like my kind of book. Like it was made for me. Like that was my problem with Six of Crows. Was like. It takes a long time to get to the action, and that was why I struggled for a long time. Um, Versus this, where, like, literally two people die (laughs) in the prologue. We haven't even gotten to the book, and we have already lost the mother and the father. (laughs) Like, damn, okay. (laughs) At least in, in, what's it called, our last book. The Concealed, (laughs) yeah. We only lost the sister. Like, the parents were long gone by that point. In that one, we were attending the sister's funeral. No, we weren't. The
1: prologue we weren't. was her walking through the snow to Zara's oh grave, which oh this God. will will ever complain. We will forever complain about this of the kids. Like, a prologue was <laughs> so unnecessary because it happened after <laughs> part of the first chapter. Like it was just didn't. Makes sense because the first chapter started with her sister's funeral. The prologue was her walking up to her sister's grave to tell her that she got into Oxford, basically. Oh, that's right. That's um, right. Oh my
0: god, <laughs> it didn't make
1: sense. That's true. So this was a much better prologue than the concealed. Also, we got more information and more action than in the first seven chapters. Yeah.
0: But it, it kind of sets the mood for the rest of the book which i think is makes a good prologue like you get a really good understanding of how the rest of the book is going to play out um yeah and i think the prologue does that really well like it's yeah it's a good prologue it is a good prologue
1: um and i'm sure that you thoroughly appreciated that the backyard forge was
0: Mm -hmm. being used
1: to make replica ancient
0: icelandic weapons Represent. (laughs) I would love to have a long talk with Holly Black about if she like, I don't know, like went to Iceland. If she researched Icelandic weaponry, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Icelandic weaponry. I know a lot about, well, not even a whole lot, but like I know generally about Icelandic mythology Mm -hmm. or the sagas. I think is more apt than mythology, but like I think I've said this before, like the sagas are all about their ships <laughs> not right. about their weaponry so i would just like to know i want to speak with holly black for a long time about how she decides to make icelandic and not like i don't know british old british well yeah weaponry. it's like why wouldn't you make it like irish or scottish and if yeah. you Scott, because
1: then it's like you still have the tie to the fae but mm-hmm. the scottish have like the warring clan so they had a ton of ancient weaponry that you could have drawn from um, which I have a pop culture reference related to that, so we'll get into that later. But <laughs> Icelandic is weird because you don't get fairies in Icelandic mythology, yeah. which is kind of drawn from Norse mythology, right? Like it's yeah. a lot of the same thematic.
0: Vikings.
1: Yeah, ships, exactly.
0: Lots of ships. They love the ships. Trolls. I was leaping lots through it the trolls. other day, and what came up was like ship, ship, ship. They were on a ship. They were going to the ship. <laughs> like, they have ships. <laughs> Lots of we ships and lots of ships. trolls,
1: yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, not really f- fairies. Like that's just—it's no, no, a completely no, no. different vibe. So, it, I would be interested to know why she. I, she probably just picked a random country that she was like, "Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> why not?"
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: but it's nice representation for Iceland, you know. Nice I little know. shout out there. Yeah. I also, uh, I don't really understand. Maddox's sense of responsibility in this I uh, Like, it's just such a weird moral compass that he follows. Because if you feel responsible for the kids, leave their parents alive rather than kidnap (laughs) them so you can raise them for 18 years. Like, that's just insane.
0: I think that... I mean, yeah. So Maddox has a very twisted sense of... Moral, I don't even know what to call it. Like, his sense of self is very twisted. Like, what Mm -hmm. he feels his responsibilities are, like, he clearly feels responsible for Vivi. But I think, you know, they, Jude and Taryn are still the daughters of his former wife. So, in some ways, there is half of that responsibility. Like, this is the woman that I was married to, these are her kids. Like, through her, I do feel responsible for them. Um, But I agree. I get that. It's a very weird sense of responsibility. I
1: I totally get if you came across them and the three kids had been orphaned, like feeling responsible (laughs) for raising them because you're the father of one and you want to make sure the other two are okay because you loved your wife. But But like maybe don't
0: murder the parents in the first it's just, it's very twisted. I don't think I think Maddock is a very strategic individual, and we get to know him a lot better. Mm. But he doesn't Yay. always think bigger picture, or he mm. thinks bigger picture, but maybe not necessarily in the right way. Um, he's very, very flawed. <laughs>
1: like, well, and I, it's I think
0: bad point. him
1: murdering his wife was very heat of the moment. Like, it wasn't yeah, strategic. Exactly. Exactly. He was just angry. um... To find out all of this information at once uh on a bright side at least in the prologue <laughs> Vivi amazing she's so calculating but like seems to be on the right side of a moral compass and obviously things can change but I like her so far separately I, I know this will change based on everything <laughs> you've told me about this book and also based on chapters 2 and 3 but in the prologue, I really like seven-year-old Jude. Like, she's a little savage, but, like, in a good way, and I enjoy her ferocity. I'm not so into the lying thing, which we'll talk about, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Anyways, I love Evie. Yeah.
0: Taryn, I have so many thoughts about Taryn that I can't wait to discuss at the end of the book. Um, mm. She doesn't do I anything feel in the prologue. So... <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Is like, feels so bad for Taryn and the prologue, because like, here are her two sisters. Like, one is like fighting. One is like, what the heck is going on? Like, listen, dude, you just killed my mother and my father. Like, you're mm-hmm. telling me I'm your daughter? Who are you? <laughs> and the poor Taryn is like, just like a real human in this moment where yeah. she feels confused and lost. She just watched her parents get murdered. <laughs> She's like,
1: seven! The, the She's poor, reacting poor normally. Yeah. yeah. I will say, out of... I And I think this kind of stems across all of the chapters, Vivi seems the most calculating and strategic out of all of mm-hmm. them. Jude is the most impulsive <laughs> Yeah. and probably interesting, but mm. in a way that may- will make me want to tear my hair out. And Taryn seems the most personable. Like she'll be able to get along with the most people, kind of go with the flow. Yeah. That's my prediction anyway. That's like that's uh, that the sounds vibe pretty that I accurate. Get. Yeah. Oh good. Yeah. Making great <laughs> predictions for their characters after knowing nothing about them. Awesome. I mean,
0: to a point, I'm not gonna spoil it, but like right now that's a pretty good prediction. Okay. Awesome. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, we'll talk last, about it when we get there. <laughs> <woo-hoo-hoo>. <laughs> last thing for the prologue. I just really liked the similes and the metaphors that showed up in the actual writing from Holly Black here. I thought she She's did a so really good. good job in the prologue of describing things that were happening. Like she had a meta or a simile that the blood from the parents smelt like scrubbing pads for cleaning yeah. that their mom kept under the sink. And I just, I really wanted to highlight how well-written everything has been, um, because we're getting actual descriptions of the scenes and not just straight dialogue. And the, at least the prologue, not as much for chapters two and three, but at least the prologue doesn't feel too hindered by the narration style of First Person Limited, which as you know. Is not my favorite (laughs) (laughs) narration style. I like third person limited, um, but it is what it is. So, so far I'm really into the writing style and it's very clear when you're reading a book that is written in English with someone who has a mastery of the English, English language rather than someone that's translating, which we had in our last book, which was good in its own right and like good in a different way. It's just very different in the way that we have to appreciate it
0: yeah you just can't get it in a in a i mean a good translation can do it but um i don't think that no offense to the translators but i don't think that that book was translated particularly well or like there just wasn't a lot of literary devices being used in the book i don't know probably both of those things yeah it probably probably wasn't translated (laughs)
1: very well because it's not a huge book in Germany, like, I'm sure it's more yeah. popular in Germany, but it's not huge, and she probably couldn't afford to hire the best translators in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill. It's not, like, an easy-peasy thing where there's one answer, because <laughs> translating from German to English and from English to German is not an easy thing to do, um, by any means. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, we're not talking about that book anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh chapter two. I know I asked you this question when we did our original recording, but I'm gonna ask it again. Uh, do we get more details on like the lore of fairy and how the, the, the like the social hierarchy and how different types of fairies fit into the hierarchy? Because There's all these different types of fairies that are introduced in these chapters, and I'm not getting any context for like the social structure and the political structure, and I need more information.
0: (laughs) Um, This book wants to be like pseudo political kind of book, Um, so it has it touches a lot on the court, like the high court, and how it is laid out and how they interact. Um, Okay. Over the course though of three books, the one thing I would think that Holly Black does well is she never presents aside from like what these first couple chapters present which we need to know up front she never presents too much that feels irrelevant at all. okay so like when we need to know something um which doesn't like leave it a mystery like we're not going to be like oh like what the heck is going on like when we need to know something though because it is important to know she will bring it up um and it happens over three books so she's not going to just like send you off with like a whole bunch of stuff and you're gonna be like I don't know I remember, I do not remember what is happening like right. I think that for something like Lord of the Rings that kind of world building is necessary because the, these are huge books Before for mm-hmm. a YA book like she's not gonna overload us so she will present more stuff as we go along
1: okay good well and even with Lord of the Rings like you don't get a lot of that information for the mm-hmm. world building until you read the Cimmerillion which isn't even in the trilogy um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm pretty sure I've told you this before in our conversations, but I almost wish I would have read The Cimmerillion before I read Lord of the Rings, so that I could have the context for the world uh, okay. before I went into the actual plot and, like, the actual story, but that's just me. Like, I really like to know all of the details of a world You're very up front. Ravenclaw. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, it was, so... Um, I mean, this isn't really related to this at all, but I recently read um, This Savage Song by by Victoria Schwab, V.E. Schwab, and you get kind of, like, I think what you're saying with Holly Black is, like, you get bits and pieces of the world Mm -hmm. sprinkled in from chapter to chapter, and until I got to, like i don't know 60 percent of the way through the book i wasn't fully set on like what the world was or like how everything interconnected and i was struggling so much it was such Mm -hmm. a good book but i was just i struggle because i want to know everything and like how everything fits together and i don't know maybe it's because i've been spoiled because i've like studied this academically about Harry Potter and like the social hierarchy of different species mm-hmm. and like how everything plays together that now I want that information for other worlds.
0: Um so I need to get over myself there. but well, you're I like just... my father, like he can't do fantasy because he has to know the rules. Like he doesn't yeah. want a dragon to show up and like a burn the entire city down without like prior knowledge of like that being possible. Like it feels like cheating. <laughs>
1: oh god yeah I need uh, hard magic systems and I need all of yeah. the rules laid out for me it's, yeah. for it to be very clear um, but I shouldn't hold Holly Black accountable for the fact that I took a sociology of Harry <laughs> Potter class in college <laughs> which just and like way for the ride it's just a YA book <laughs> and uh, if I never learn whether or not imps are below or above <laughs> Boggins I'll get over it <laughs> oh god it's fine um okay and this was another political question which you're not going to answer but i'm gonna ask you anyways um are there multiple kings in fairy is there one king are there multiple continents what is the high king of elfheim rule over um if there is only one king why are they fighting wars and why does he need a general
0: Well, we get more history, um, also, similar to that world-building, like, we get more history as we go along, as it comes up, and as it becomes important. There is, I can't say there is, I mean, like, unless my Murray is leaving me, there is only one king of Elfham, like, he rules over this thing. (laughs) The whole realm. of fairies. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Uh, it's it's just him with his kids, and I think it's, who is it, bellican who's going to be taking over after him. It's anticipated. That's all we have.
1: <laughs> okay. So it's more like a situation where they're fighting wars potentially with other realms, but not with yeah. fairy itself. So almost um, like a
0: Norse kind god kind of thing? Kind of. It, I think it is, there is some inner realm Fighting like little rebellions really. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Kind of.
1: Um. Because like what I'm imagining is I like don't get... know
0: what to say without spoiling. I stuff. know. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm being an <laughs>
1: asshole. I just want to know things. Um. But I'm what I'm imagining is like you have the trees of like, yggdrasil the world tree, right from Norse mythology, and then you have the nine realms that like attach to the world tree, and the members of. Asgard, like, may fight amongst themselves a little bit, but really they're fighting the creatures in the other realms. Sure. And you're looking at me like,
0: (laughs) no. I've watched too much Marvel. There, I will say that there is a war that comes into play. I mean, a couple wars, past and future, that come into play, and that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, alright, fine. So he is a need for a high general, got it. Okay, yes, yes. (laughs)
1: Oh, God. Um, I still really like Vivi's rebellious streak in this chapter, in chapter two. Like, clearly holding on to her, her humanity, mm-hmm. speaking properly, should tell is really important to her. And I'm glad that, like, spending time away from the human realm and being cared for and pampered in any way possible hasn't changed her and I, I also don't really blame her for being upset at her sisters because they are choosing to adapt and she's not. Like she's wearing jeans and a t shirt basically, <laughs> wandering around. She's like, I ain't going to no ball. I'm just gonna hang out here and like not talk to you, Mofos. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how their sister dynamics play out since clearly she doesn't
0: wanna fully interact with her two sisters. Oh, I don't know if it's interact with her two sisters or just, like, give the in world. to anything Maddox yeah. says. Like, anything that has to do with Maddox, she does not want a part of.
1: And since her sisters are giving in to Maddox, that's yeah. seeping into it's her driving relationship with them. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's fair. <sighs> <Poor> <sighs> okay. Also, Jude's lying. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just... And I know we talked about this last time, but I just want... I need more details on why she feels compelled to lie. Because, like, there's really no reason for her to lie to Maddox. Maddox already knows that Vivi has no cares in the world for pleasing him or doing what he wants. So if she would have just said, Vivi's not going, nor does she want to, I don't think Maddox would have made a huge stink about it. And she would have been able to tell the truth. Like, it doesn't seem like there would have been a consequence Mm -hmm. for telling the truth in that situation, so she lied just to prove that she could do it. And I'm guessing it's because it's really easy for her and it shows her innate humanity that she's able to do it, so she continuously shows it off. I just, I hate when characters lie unnecessarily, and I need
0: her to have a worthwhile
1: motivation. (laughs)
0: i my personal thing is like she sees it as her superpower like she's surrounded by all of these really cool mythical creatures who have like wings and tails and like all of this like crazy lore about them and they can enchant and do whatever and she's just there like a human has no skills like is basically a squib if we want to use harry potter terms like (laughs) she has no nothing in this world except Mm -hmm. to be able to lie like that's the only thing she can hold over all of them is that she doesn't have to tell the truth and fairies don't as we get later on like fairies don't always remember that she doesn't have to tell the truth like she can outright lie to their faces she never has to twist her words she can just be like like looking at a red dress she can say that's blue and they'll be like okay <laughs> so i think she likes to like kind of use that to assert herself um to give herself a feeling of like okay i'm i have this at least like to i have give nothing herself else a here, here but this.
1: power inequality yeah. exactly do i think that that's worthwhile no <laughs> but i can understand it that's just- I think she's gonna, when we sort them at the end of this book, I think she's gonna be a Slytherin.
0: I get a vibe. <laughs> I will take her. I will take her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll claim Vivi for
1: Ravenclaw. <laughs> okay. We'll see if yeah. that actually holds up, but yeah. that's my Let's vibe see if so that holds far. Up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So we also learn in this chapter that Oak is
0: sickly.
1: (laughs) Like, I don't understand this. How can a fairy kid be sickly? That doesn't seem like something that you have in fantasy. So it's like, I don't know if that's supposed to be a ruse, if that's supposed to be that he's just not going to be included in society, like if he's dumb. I don't know if it's supposed to be some sort of Parallel for like a relatable disability, or be it he's a symbol for chronic
0: illness, of in some way, like I just, I mean, what please? I don't think that he's meant to be a symbol of disability. I'm trying to remember. We don't, sadly, learn a lot about him in like the first couple of books. In the third book, he comes into play and we learn a little bit more about what his role is because he's not just a throwaway character, he is an adorable part of their family who deserves to have his own narrative, which he gets eventually, but not for the first two books, so it sucks. But yeah, he's adorable. I love Oak. But the fact that Sim's Oak, I can't get over that. I just think of
1: Professor Oak from Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I'm thinking of an oak tree or, like, Pokemon. (laughs) No, all of the professors are named after trees oh no it's professor oak professor elm uh professor birch professor juniper i only can get through four (laughs) sycamore is generation six yeah they're all named after trees anyways (laughs) um okay so he's not symbolic for chronic illness but he's probably more so ill in the way that like catherine de burgh's daughter is ill in pride and prejudice (laughs) like there's not actually anything wrong with her but
0: she just as far as i can remember, i could be wrong i should reread book three but yeah (laughs) okay fair enough all right um that's all i had for chapter two i just had a lot of questions (laughs) okay Um, did I have anything for chapter two? Oh, I wanted your thoughts on Oriana and Oak. Mm, Okay, um,
1: Oriana's a bitch, and (laughs) 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 okay, she's just—I get evil stepmother vibes. I'll—I have pop culture references. I'll get into them. Oh wait, I totally forgot you had a comment for chapter one, and I skipped over it. I'm so sorry.
0: Oh, I forgot about chapter one completely. Yeah, it's very minimal. I, yeah, I mean, I, my only comment was, I've always wondered why fantasy places reject human inventions. Like, the TV. Why, why can't we have a TV in Fairyland? Hello? Why can't we have a TV in Hogwarts? It's why just can't rude. can't we have cell phones? <laughs> so rude. Like, they want to keep you suppressed, or either that, or they're just, they don't have the wirings, you know? Well, they might not have electricity,
1: might not exist in their world. That's that's true too. But I also think that's in general why most authors who write high fantasy write high fantasy in medieval settings so they don't have to deal with technology. <laughs> I want
0: a really good high fantasy in modern day. Like I don't think I've seen a lot of that. I mean we get that kind of with moral instruments, but that's because like... that's called sci-fi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give me something which is still high fantasy though that is in modern day. Like that. That's my point. Is like Moral Instruments is still kind of like tiptoeing that line between mm-hmm. fantasy, not high fantasy, but like fantasy. It's a medium and fantasy. It's, yeah, it's medium fantasy and modern day, and you don't get that sci-fi element to it. Like, give yeah. me more of that. Well, and I think it's probably just because
1: high fantasy can't exist in our current world because we suck. No, because then it wouldn't be high fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of high fantasy is to be in another world. Like, it has yeah. to be distinct and separate from Earth. Um, or our, our Earth as we currently know it. So, um, But that's a fair comment for chapter one. I'm sorry they don't have ketchup, Julia. I, I'm uh, God. I'm okay with getting
0: rid of fish sticks, but I'm sorry they don't have ketchup. <laughs> I like t- fish sticks like uh, microwaves think about that like i mean i don't use a microwave a lot in my household but like still like a microwave why why don't they like the idea of a microwave okay um anything else for chapter two (laughs) uh no i don't have anything else for chapter two all right let's move on oh wait i just had one comment i just really loved that Madoc reads battle strategy to them when they're going to bed like there's something so hilarious about that scene. like it's just like it was a casual comment too like oh yeah like he teaches them to fight play games and like Jude falls asleep to him reading b- battle strategy it was just so like in passing like by the way that like, feels okay. really poppy war to me <laughs> Yeah, like Jang Ryn- reading read
1: battle strategies <laughs> while she goes off to meditate. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, this this was like this the first time that we recorded we just kept making pop well me mostly kept making pop culture references in, in the middle the, of yeah. our non-pop culture yeah it's fine <laughs> sorry um it's all a blend together anyways it's totally fine uh, okay so chapter three
0: three give me some comments on chapter three I love the names of the circles so much. Like now that we know what grackles are, yeah. (laughs) It just feels like she was like, "Okay, I'm gonna look for something very obscure sounding grackles." Okay, now something semi obscure larks. Okay, now something everyone knows falcons. Great, done. (laughs) Like it literally goes like down, down, down. (laughs) Um, but I so. I wanted to talk about Carton's. Well, the entire family. Their last name is Greenbrier, G R E E N B R I A R. Which, mm-hmm. Bri I thought Briar bri- Rose. That's pop culture, but like thought Briar Rose. But then I thought, I think there's a plant called Greenbrier, and it is. It's B R I E R. And when you look it up, it says Greenbriers get their a scientific name from the Greek myth of Crocus, and the nymph Smilax, which sounds like Snorlax. <laughs> I digress. Uh, though This myth has numerous forms. It always centers around the unfulfilled and tragic love of a mortal man who is turned into a flower, and a woodland nymph who is transformed into a brambly vine. <laughs> um. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know what she's getting at there, but... I don't know. I, I just don't understand why there's so many Greek myths about mortal men being turned into flowers. I know. Maybe like she didn't even look this up. Maybe I'm I'm reading too far into this, which you I, I probably, probably would be. are. There are very few YA authors that actually try that hard. But J.K. Rowling did a really good job with her names. I mean, like we don't like her anymore, but she did a good job. She did a really good job names. with her names. So she Say what you will about
1: how shitty of a person she is. Mm -hmm. She put so much research into those books. Like, there was love in the research put into those books. Mm -hmm. And we know this because we went to the Harry Potter (laughs) History of Magic exhibit and, like, read all about it. Um, But there's so much ties to, like, ancient alchemy and magic in everything that she did and all of the names that she used, even the flower choices and color choices. Like, everything is so well thought out in those books. Mm -hmm. But I don't think every author tries that hard because they're not spending years and years and years crafting these books. They're spending two to three years crafting a whole series. Right? You're churning it out. It's more mass-produced. And is it as much of a labor of love? Yeah. Not that Holly Black did anything wrong. I just don't think that
0: she necessarily. i'm, much that I'm doing the thing where i write three pages about a one page um snippet hmm. college bullshitting <laughs> yeah a plus skill <laughs> we're really coming in here <laughs> to help me but it's
1: it's interesting at least that it ties to a more obscure greek myth because i think the myth that everyone knows about you know a mortal man turning into a flower is the myth of narcissus and echo mm-hmm. um But it's fascinating that there's almost an exact same myth with just different a different dude and a different nymph.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. It's tied to this flower. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, because (laughs) because nymphs are related to fairies, but. Mm -hmm. Um, moving on from that. Uh. I don't think I had a whole lot of other comments. I know you had a lot.
1: I did. I had a lot of questions again. <laughs> yeah. um, so this first question, I need to look this up because you didn't know the answer. But as Jude's going through, like, the fairy court, she's like, oh, over there were some boggins and foxkin," <laughs> And I'm like, what the fuck are those? <laughs> are these well-known fairy types? Is this part of Irish mythology that I just haven't read about yet? Like, what the heck is a boggin? I think of bog arts, but the, I know mm-hmm. that's not
0: the same thing. <laughs> um, Very different.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I want to know more about boggins in and Foxcannon. This kind of plays into my question about the social hierarchy of fairy. Um, but uh, I'll never get the answers I want, and it's fine. Okay, Jude oh, – oh, Holly Black. There was a really good sentence in Jude's narration – Where she said, I can see why humans succumb to the beautiful nightmare of the court. Why they willingly drown in it. First off, fire sentence. I love that (laughs) sentence. Um, I also can totally empathize with the allure of the glamour of distraction. If that makes sense. Like, how you can get easily caught up in... All yeah. of these like moving parts and like very fancy looking things that really don't mean anything because um, I think a lot of fairy Lore is like that that it's very beautiful, but kind of shallow kind of empty um, and you get caught up in the beauty and then you're left with absolutely nothing and That's kind of what it seems like this is uh, so i'm i'm wondering Sort of like long road if Jude is actually going to be able to tear herself away from this world that she's so smitten with and be able to stick to her humanity and hold on to her her humanity, or if she's going to get caught up in the world, um, and kind of succumb to it a little bit. I wonder. Yeah, I'm
0: not answering that. So. I, well, I know that's a loaded question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a prediction yet. Um, you are always, of course, welcome to ask for my predictions of things. I don't I always want to know your predictions. I don't- This is (sighs)
0: like, this is an adventure of a book.
1: (laughs) You will- I'll be wrong, probably a lot, but we'll see. Um, but I don't- I don't quite have a a full sense yet of whether Jude- like, which path Jude's gonna go down or whether she's gonna flip-flop back and forth. Um, but that's something I'm interested to see as the book progresses, if she's going to get kind of, like, caught up in the grandeur and then be able to pull herself back from it all. Also, I know the answer to this question, because we talked about it, um, but just kind of talking about the gentry of the court, so the, the gentlemen and ladies, the high fairies, as I'm going to call them, because <laughs> I don't have another word for them. Um, But it's interesting that they, other than the royal family, right? Like, the royal family is animalistic in nature, but the rest of the high fairies are not. And based on the limited descriptions that we have, it seems like there's green tints to their skin, and there's, like, other things going on with them, but not necessarily animalistic things and so I'm wondering if they're making a clear distinction here between again other than the royal family making a clear distinction between what is high fairy and what is low fairy based on what nature traits they have so if high fairies are more associated with like nature and like plants in the way that like dryads naiads nymphs from Greek mythology are, and then lesser beings in the world of fairy are more animalistic and sort of animal-like in nature, where you have, like, tricksters, like imps, for example.
0: What's the question? That wasn't a question, it was, I don't know. (laughs)
1: It's like, whoa, where is she going with this? I don't know where I'm going with it. It's just kind of like... (laughs) I'm just wondering if that's kind of like the separation and distinction. Okay. And then what makes the royal family so special is that they're able to the have those animalistic mm-hmm. characteristics but retain the like grace and grace. I can't think of another <laughs> word. But like the grace of the plants and the plant-like behavior. Cuz a lot of times when you especially when we think of humans, right? Like when we think of mm-hmm. civilizations and being more base in nature, the people that we consider criminals and the people that we consider at the lower rungs of humanity or the people that are more animalistic in nature that act on instinct rather than on thought and like strategy and so i'm wondering if like the royal family they're able to tap into that sort of instinct but still have the ability to separate out that um sort of like bigger
0: picture strategy sort of thing oh, and that's what sets yeah, them apart yeah, yeah. Uh, Very long-winded way of saying that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's that's a, a, a good wonder. <laughs> I don't really remember this. Genuinely don't remember this because um, I read it so quickly. But I almost, I want to predict, my own prediction, that, because I don't remember <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I don't think they were going to get an answer in the first book, which sucks. Um, but I want to say the first or the um the animal tendencies i think might be a curse almost mm. okay i don't know why i want to say that if i'm like getting that from a different book that i'm reading right now which has similar parallels but i don't know <laughs> uh, well yeah. we'll see that's well, my we- prediction as somebody who has read this and completely forgot <laughs> We will see. I um, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I don't think it plays as huge of a role as maybe we think it does. Well, that's fair. I mean, I
1: don't think it's, like, a major role. I'm just yeah. wondering if kind of, like, subconsciously, like, behind the scenes, like, that plays mm. into the social hierarchy.
0: You are trying everything. so hard to create the world. I know. I can like see your mind going right now. You're, like, building it up. And I'm like, let's keep going. <laughs> Um, yeah,
1: so this is what happens when you read fantasy with me, and actually have time to think about the fantasy, um, whereas, like, the concealed was so low fantasy that it was yeah, just kind of like, ah, oh, Arthurian legends, up. like, whatever, like, we'll move yeah. on. Um, but this, I'm like, ooh, I
0: get a whole world to play <laughs> in, <it." laughs>
1: and I only have to think about two to three chapters that, at a
0: time. <laughs> that's me with dystopian novels. I will do that. I will dissect a dystopian novel. I don't know why, like, for me... I love fantasy, right? But, like, I think because dystopian novels were my hook into the YA genre, like, mm. I get so obsessive over those things. Like, the sci-fi part of that, the world building, the politics of a dystopian universe, like, the yeah. Hunger Games, I find it fascinating. I don't know. So, I think that's sympathize. I relate. Oh my god, I miss
1: Aragon. That had great politics. So, uh, I'm just... Really tired of the YA trope of sorting people in any I capacity. Know. It bothers me. I'm over it. I'm done with it. And it's not Holly Black's fault because all YA books do this. Like, all YA books have distinct and separate groups that have different things. Even, like, if we. Divergent has it. The Hunger Games has it. Harry
0: Potter has it. Like, there's not. It does not play the vital role that you think it plays at all. It is okay. not going there. It's not going to go to that route.
1: Does but it she come into sets play? It up to yes. do
0: that? Yeah, because it does come into play, but not in the way that you think it's going to come into play. Okay, I'm
1: just she sets it up to do that, and that's all I get from this chapter is like multiple paragraphs yeah. of descriptions of these different <laughs> groups, and that's more of a description than we get. From the Sorting Hat song in the
0: first Harry Potter book. <laughs> I I get why she's, she's describing them in such detail, but, like, at the same time, like, I don't know. I, like, almost feel like it's almost a miss. she's, like, intentionally misleading you. Hmm. Great. Yeah.
1: Great. Well, that means that I will be unintentionally happy later on when it doesn't play a big role. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, (sighs) uh, also, just general comment that really hit me in chapter three. There's so many names. (laughs) I'm gonna really Mm -hmm. struggle to remember all of the names and how they all interact with one another. And it would be really helpful to have a
0: roster, like a play has, or like a glossary. I said this before, like why isn't there a glossary? Like, give us the damn glossary. I yeah, love glossary. Indexes are severely underrated. Mm-hmm. Footnotes, glossary, give me the whole shebang, and I am there.
1: <laughs> I want more footnotes in
0: books. It's like, so helpful.
1: It is. Especially I stopped with fantasy books. True, true. Well, no fantasy author does. But
0: oh, no, really.
1: Um, I stopped reading *Sex and Vanity* by Kevin Kwan, who wrote crazy rotations Mm -hmm. because well the book was horrible but the one really nice thing about it was that he put footnotes for certain things Mm -hmm. and he did that with crazy rotations too and i just like thoroughly appreciated like defining things in the moment where i can see them on a page and it's really easy to read um because footnotes can be cheeky like you're not writing an academic piece of work you can make them cheeky you can make them part of the story i feel like uh mortal instruments has footnotes too doesn't it
0: um i don't think it does i don't remember them having them maybe my brain i think there's there's a oh maybe my brain is making shit up
1: that wouldn't be the first
0: time (laughs) there is a british book which i wanted to do on this podcast but we're not going to do because i think it'd be too difficult but a british book called the actual real reality of jennifer james which i highly suggest to people to read because it is hilarious and she has footnotes you can't Oh, I'm looking on the um the uh, iBook version, and it doesn't have the footnotes, which sucks. But the mm-hmm. physical copy has footnotes, and they're hilarious. They're like a whole novel in themselves to like explain all of these ridiculous British terms to us Americans. It's so funny. I, I really it. suggest that. I That's well, the footnotes. only book that I've seen do footnotes well, but, like, that doesn't mean I don't like footnotes. <laughs> well, I think Crazy Rich
1: Asians does footnotes well, yeah. but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not YA, so. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, the sister dynamic between the three of them is interesting. I hope we get a little bit more details on how oh, they yeah. all kind of interact with each other and are able to- We will get a lot more. I'm sure, but I would like to see, I know this isn't going to happen, but I would like to see things a little bit from not Jude's perspective because I can already tell that her perspective is very skewed Mm -hmm. as it comes to her two sisters. Um, And I'm also like, I'm just, I'm getting a vibe and I hope I'm wrong, but I really am starting to get the vibe that Jude's going to be like, the YA female protagonist who is a loner and an outcast and who just isn't understood by her peers and I don't want that
0: uh yeah <laughs> yes and no <laughs> I think okay her so she has sibling struggles as every, every sibling struggles mm-hmm. with right yeah We say it's two only children that know nothing about sibling relations. Yeah, I mean, she has the YA problem later on where she's, like, isolated. Like, I'm the only one with this problem. But, like, she doesn't become super isolated from her family. Okay. Except in some instances. I mean, like, so, okay, I I can't, I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead. (laughs) no I mean
1: I just my prediction is that she will slightly fall into that trope well I think she's as yeah do I think she's gonna be as bad as Evelyn I think that's a good prediction in the concealed no but do I think she's gonna fall into that trope of like being different from everyone else (laughs) and like being by herself and like not being cool about it like do I think she's gonna be a blue from Raven Cycle no (laughs) I don't (laughs)
0: Blue has an entire family of of support system. I know. I understand (laughs) that. But she still
1: falls into the trope, but in, like, a much better and more palatable way. Anyways, um. Blue is adorable, though. Yeah, I love Blue. Um. (laughs) Okay. Prince Cardin, As you rightly Uh, predicted, my first opinion is that he sucks and sucks hard. Uh. Now, he could be, benefit of the doubt, fronting, um, and all of his anger and cruelty is to hide his deeply troubled and fragile heart, um, but he's a jerk, and I don't Mm -hmm. like that he's punching down and kind of, like, over-grandizing his title to hurt people that are of a lower status, because he doesn't have anything to prove, like, he's the sixth son. He's not going to rule. Yep. Everyone already knows he's a royalty. He doesn't really have anything that he has to do. So,
0: please stop. <laughs> yeah, he, he's pretty terrible. I don't think he gets any better. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but not right away. <laughs> Great. Great. He, he mm, I, I, I will say that I love him in the end.
1: But, like... You're he meaning the end too... of the trilogy. You don't exactly mean the end of like, this
0: book. He is clearly being set up for a long-term problematic character. Does he well, have a good redemption arc? I don't really know if I can say that. I mean, to be fair,
1: he can't have a redemption arc in this book. No. Because he's the titular character, and the book is called The Cruel Prince. So. <laughs> and he's on the back cover. <laughs> So we know he's going to be shit, and he's going to be the villain the entire book. (sighs) Which is great, because I'm presuming they eventually fall in love, because it's a YA book, Um, and it's going to take a lot to get me on board with them. (laughs) I would actually like to
0: talk about the title of the book when we get to the end of the book. Remind me about that. Um, Well, not even towards the end of the book. I think like when we get into book two, part two, um, we should talk about the title of it. I would like to see i'm putting it, it, oh, it you're in my writing it down <laughs> yeah. i to talk about good, good, good. the
1: title of the book between books one and two <laughs> mm. okay got it um oh i wrote down who our uh, mvps were <laughs> from last time i know i'll remember yours i just didn't remember who i picked so now i remember that's good um okay The last comment I had for chapter three is that Locke seems tricky. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's a nice, he plays good cop and then lures people into traps so the rest of them can fuck with people. And I think I'm feeling that because you gave me the advice when we started reading (laughs) this book that I couldn't trust anybody. And so now I literally don't trust anybody's actions. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.
0: But, yeah, but people will surprise you. You never know. No, that's probably true. That's just my prediction
1: for now is that he's the one that lures okay. people into track?
0: <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> it's okay if I'm say, horribly wrong. I do remember really liking Locke when we first, when I first started this book. Um, hmm. Because he was different. He was, like, the odd one out of the group, and, like, you see hmm. that here for, person like he presents himself as being different later on also Mm -hmm. um but that's all (laughs) i'm gonna (laughs) say okay um
1: okay any other comments for chapter three
0: uh um, do i no i don't think i do nope okay well let's get into pop culture then
1: um do you have any pop culture references for the prologue i don't (laughs) Okay, I have multiple. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> always come prepared. <laughs> they just come to me. I'm only reading 20 I pages. I wish like... I had
0: your brain. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is the whole reason this is a segment for our podcast is so that I could just have a place to do this in a more structured way because otherwise these comments would be coming in during the regular comments and it would be a mess. <laughs> um, okay, so first off, I know that this book is dedicated to cassie clare and it's like obviously holly black's read the mortal instruments but the prologue is like directly stealing (laughs) from the mortal instruments it's the exact same story like in the mortal instruments clary's mother fakes her death and the death of a child to get away from the dad who's kind of gone to the dark side or who she doesn't want to spend time with anymore and, like, that's exactly what happens with Jude's mom and Vivi.
0: Like, exactly the same Except in this version, we get to see the sibling and not Vivi herself. So, it's like a fanfiction. Which, technically, I looked this up. The Moral Instruments, it looks like it was based off of a Draco Balfoy fanfiction that Cassie Clare wrote way back when. So, it's a fanfiction of a fanfiction. And so, that goes into my next thing. Orphaning kids feels
1: very Harry Potterish. <laughs> why do yeah. we keep doing it in YA? Like, why do we orphan so many children in YA?
0: Our what's last the, book. What's that book called? The, the another book where the mother dies. There's that book that the. YA oh yeah, book. you mentioned
1: this last time. Mm-hmm. I don't know, um, but like the last book that we read for the podcast, the concealed three of the main characters were orphaned (laughs) and you think of like harry potter orphaned a series of unfortunate events lots of kids orphaned like we just we keep killing off parents so it's easier to tell stories about teens and like we can tell stories about troubled teens who still have alive parents please Mm -hmm. like please anyways i have a lot of thought about orphaning people
0: (laughs) i'm really over oh yeah okay one of those hideous books where the mother dies i knew it i must oh. have read this a long time ago
1: 2004 never read it. yeah
0: she's <laughs> oh someone, my god someone called it
1: <laughs> oh god i mean it's a trope that it definitely is for ya um okay the dad's fascination with like the old weapons and like crafting and forging like actual hi- Historically accurate replicas, uh, reminds me of a romance novel, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. It's called A Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole, where the main love interest guy is a Scottish weapons blacksmith. Sw- <laughs> <laughs> and the main girl comes from America to intern for him and help him run his <laughs> forge.
0: And they followed. Oh them. my god i'm i'm sorry i think that's why i can't get into romance books
1: listen that's better than it being like a hallmark romance where it's like a high-powered lawyer comes home for christmas and falls in love with the hometown hottie (laughs) like it's more interesting
0: that's what i always wanted to happen to me when i returned home to my vermont hometown from new york city and i didn't see anybody Uh, I don't
1: want to fall in love with any of the boys from my hometown. And if any of you were listening, you know why. You also. Um, also, anything made in like replica weapons in general just reminds me of the Weta workshop that made all of the stuff for Lord of the Rings. And I just <laughs> shout out to Weta, they do great work. That's all. Um, okay, last thing for the prologue. I don't really understand how you get to Fairyland. like I wanted to I had a couple of potential pop culture references that I wasn't sure which one made the most sense right so you could go like Peter Pan route like second star to the right and then you end up in this separate place you could go like His Dark Materials like there's a separate opening that only certain people can create and then it gets closed again magically um or Because they ride on the back of a horse, it could be horse-related, and you have to have, like, a special type of horse. Then I was thinking of, like, Shadowfax from Lord of the Rings or Orion from the Heroes of Olympus series. So what do you got for me?
0: Which one of those four is it? I don't remember. I know that they talk about it. They for sure talk about it in the first book. So we can't, the explanation. I don't think it made an impression on me. (laughs) I'm, I'm pretty sure that they have a horse every single time. Okay. Uh, so, so I think thing. it's more like a horse related thing. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got though. I, just, I don't uh, think I was like blown okay. away by it. Like it didn't seem like anything to write home about.
1: Again, world building. My brain needs to understand the mechanics. And of course somehow I, I come up with four different puzzles. I'm
0: choices. like, I'm like, let's get to the plot. Let's get to the plot. You're like, how on earth did they get there? <laughs> I keep saying I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be a fantasy book, and then you're like, oh, I'll write it for you, because I can't actually write it, but the problem is I can't get past the world building, because I'm like, I don't care about it.
1: Well, that's why I'm going to write it, because I can world build for you. Okay. Uh, It's fine. Um, Okay, that was all of my pop culture references for the prologue. Do you have anything for chapter one? Uh, no, <laughs> I do. Uh, <laughs> For chapter one, it's one sentence. I know, okay, but see, here's the thing like, the fish sticks triggered something in me. Okay, okay, so <laughs> I know you've watched it, the season premiere. Of Doctor Who for the eleventh oh, Doctor, yes, yes. where he eats fish sticks and custard
0: with I Baby Amy. You literally mentioned this on our first try of recording this, and I already forgot it. But
1: it's Baby Amy Pond, and she sees him, and she oh gives him his God. fish sticks and custard, and then he and they like bond. They bond, but then. Th- he goes away and then he comes back when she's an adult and that mirrors what we have here where in the prologue you have baby jude (laughs) giving us this information there's no doctor who to save her i know but like it's the same thing where you have this like strange guy coming in and then where we pick back up she's with the strange guy but it's seven years or ten years later i
0: don't want to compare madoc to doctor who
1: (laughs) no he's obviously nothing like doctor who but, like, the vibe of the story is the same. Like, it reminded okay. me. At least in the chrono- chronology. The and the fish sticks. Doesn't talk there. I'm
0: sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Chapter two. You got anything for chapter two? Do I have anything for chapter two? Um, I'm still looking at my notes. What do you have for chapter two? Uh, both of mine are very German.
1: So, we're going to be on brand here for (laughs) our heritage. Um, So, Oriana, as I kind of was mentioning earlier, gives me a lot of, like, evil stepmother vibes. Where she seems grumpy about, like, having to raise these three other girls. But, like, that she doesn't want to necessarily fully show it to her husband. And wants to give off this, like, pretense of wanting to take care of the girls. Even though she's actually favoring her own kid. And... It reminded me of a Grimm's fairy tale called Die drei Männlein im Walde, which, Mm. or the the three little men in the woods, for those who don't speak German. Um, And it was a story my grandma used to read to me growing up where basically there was this evil stepmother and she had one daughter and then her stepdaughter. The dad was still alive, which is amazing for German fairy tales, but there were there were two parents. Um, and at the beginning, like, she treated her stepdaughter really, really well um, and, like, gave her the best food and the best clothes and all these really nice things and treated her own daughter like shit. And then over time, she started to shift that balance and eventually was treating them equally and then started treating her own daughter well and did it so gradually that her husband never noticed that his daughter is actually being treated like shit and it was very calculating and so oriana kind of reminds me of that that she's like very calculating about how she's going to treat the girls so that it doesn't look like she doesn't give a shit about them but she actually doesn't okay out strategizing the general (laughs) vibe i'm getting um, and then also keeping with my trend of German folklore, uh, having a sickly, because that's how Oak is described, a sickly non relative who you're not related to in any way, shape, or form think of you and treat you like a sister and be like also happy and gung ho that you're around them um, really reminded me of Clara and Heidi. <laughs> Because she's in a wheelchair and like she can't oh. actually take care of herself, and Heidi comes yeah. to stay with her, and they become best friends. Even though everyone wants to like chase Heidi away, she's like, "No, I love her. This is great. We're so happy." <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of Heidi.
0: <laughs> That's a throwback. <laughs> no one talks wow, about that anymore. That, is, more that is really my childhood Heidi. I
1: know, right? That's crazy. Heidi in the Grimm fairy tale. <laughs> Wow.
0: That's all I got for chapter yeah. 2. Um okay, I have um Vivian like kind of reminds me of Arya from Game of Thrones here. Like mm. very rebellious, like doesn't want to wear like get dressed up, go to the ball, like doesn't want to do any of that. She wants to do her mm-hmm. own thing.
1: Mm-hmm. She's
0: like not vengeful, but she holds a grudge. Which is, like, 100% Arya. <laughs> yeah, true. But she also has a very strong feeling of loyalty. Like, it almost makes me think, like, maybe if her two sisters weren't still in fairy, Vivi might have tried to escape by now and, like, wouldn't have looked back. Um, well, she can't escape. She can go to the mortal realm, but she just, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have come back. Exactly. Like, she's yeah. coming back for her sister. She has that strong sense of family loyalty, but, like does she put, she basically only puts up with Maddock because like of her sisters but yeah. like she's made it clear like I'm going to hate you for the rest of my life and she is sticking to that for the rest True. of her life that's fair um, that's totally fair yeah that's my only okay. pop culture for that okay i
1: like it game of thrones is a good one okay so what pop culture references
0: did you have for chapter 3 queen map mm-hmm. um I actually just—that's just this was really funny. Last night I just watched—I um, think it was the nineteen sixty-eight version of Romeo and Juliet—and, mm-hmm. um, guys, Mercutio who goes on the whole rant about Queen Mab and how he's the midwife uh, for all the fairies, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Um, but like, I think that Queen Mab shows up in a lot of other uh, various texts, but I just thought it was interesting she chose that name because that's mm-hmm. not like just like a random queen name like that is queen map which like even before i was she's watching the last the night, I, I had to know exactly that it was like she's like this is a known queen name it's significant like what does this mean for the rest of the series because yeah. i didn't pick up on that the first time i was reading this i was like queen map like yeah i know that name like it's in Romeo Angelia, but i like i didn't think to look into it as much as i have this time so i'm very excited to see if when we learn more about Queen Mab, which we will, um, mm-hmm. how how that plays into it? Um, yeah, she's very a big name in the Fay circles.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, like I know that. So, in addition to Romeo and Juliet, uh, she's also in Merlin. Um, That's right, both the '90s movie and the <laughs> BBC TV series. <laughs> I got to rewatch that. Um so in the BBC TV series, she's just a fairy, um just named Mab, who takes Merlin to the dark tower and like <laughs> gives him all these like riddles and tricky things to like get him there. But the reason I recognize Mab's name, which is like so random and weird, but I used to play these games, like hidden object games, puzzle games when I was, you know, in like middle school, high school on my computer. And there was one that was about, like, basically getting trapped in this, like, fairy dream world, and you got trapped there by Queen Mab. So it's also <laughs> made its way into, like, random <laughs> video games that I've played that it's, it's such a – there's a dearth of pop culture references we could po- probably make, um, depending on what weird, you know, rabbit holes we've gone into <laughs> – in our life but her name is everywhere so i think that's a really good question as to like why that
0: name was picked and why she's being yeah. incorporated into the lore. or maybe here. it's just holly black trying to put her you know name into the queen mab assortment of yeah. texts, you know and, and incorporate actual mythology into her stories yeah. which would be kind of nice to have that, yeah like a that's little recall cool. yeah um and then my other one was boys over flowers uh Cardin and his little posse remind me a whole lot of the, the boys over flowers uh with Locke being oh my gosh i have to look up G-hoo. their names again jihu thank you and Cardin mm-hmm. obviously being junpio junpio i need to rewatch it damn it hasn't been that long
1: has it um
0: I and then what did that... we
1: decide we said that um did we say Valerian was Woobin?
0: Yeah, the, the violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then the other guy is flirty. The and girl.
0: Feminine. So he's the girl. <laughs> he does pottery, you know? Let's <laughs> fall into some gender stereotypes don't, don't there. Don't mess with, with a man in touch with his feelings. Do we even remember his name? No, I don't.
1: He is the His storyline is more important than Bin's, but we just love Wubin's so I much. I love
0: Wubin. Like, I would marry Wubin. <laughs> come on. You want to be a mafia queen? I do. I really do. <laughs> but, like, Wubin, come on. Wubin was, like, underrated. He had the mafia saving people True. left and right, and, like, he, he was, was all over himself. everything.
1: Yeah. Like, in China, like, when they were in, um... <laughs> macau macau yes um We're i kicked some ass there
0: <laughs>
1: yeah <Macau>. he <laughs> never even got a love interest like everyone else got a love interest i will Not be Wubin. his love
0: interest that's true
1: maybe that was their plan all along they left Bin for the rest of us exactly Bin is meant for the viewers <laughs> He was the least cute, but he had the most personality, so it's okay. He was he was cute in his own way, and I'm not saying he, say really he was cute. I'm just saying he was the least cute out of all of them. Okay. <laughs> but they were all models, so
0: yeah. So <laughs> if Wubit had been like compared to Justin Bieber, he would have been hot. <laughs> no offense to anyone who likes Justin Bieber out there. I mean, you're gonna get us attacked by believers. Yeah,
1: Come on, Julia. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Anyways, the moral of uh, Julia's pop culture reference here is everyone should watch Boys Over Flowers. It's on Netflix and Hulu, so you have no excuse. And
0: then you can watch the Chinese version, Meteor Garden. Which I already. Yeah, <laughs> I like, I already forgot the name of.
1: <laughs> I haven't watched I'm it. I'm really yet. bad with names. It's a miracle I got
0: through this entire book with all of their and names. And
1: it's based off of a Japanese
0: manga, so you're hitting all of the major yeah. Asian players with this storyline. Next up, the Japanese manga.
1: <laughs> Good luck getting an English I translation I'll the Chinese of version
0: of, of the show. I need to um, watch it.
1: I watch will it. watch it at some point. I just, I'm still watching that Korean show, The Bride of Habake. Hmm. And I really can only do like one Asian subtitled show at a time. Subtitles are hard; they're a lot. And I, I get just because I like to do other things while I'm watching TV. Like I play games and yeah. I like, yeah. me too. Cook whatever. Um, so it's really hard for me to like sit and watch a full that, hour of television.
0: That's why I just like putting on Harry Potter and like zoning out. Like have something in the background. Harry Potter, we know it by heart. <laughs> and like, that's it. You don't have to worry about it just you can, with, like, look up at any point and know exactly where you are. I do that with some podcasts. Hmm. Like I'm Harry Potter chapter person. by chapter podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's still Harry Potter.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, anyways, um, watch Boys Over Flowers. Uh, yeah. Do you have any, have anything,
0: you, that was it for chapter three? That was, that was chapter three in the <gasps> show.
1: Okay. Um, so, the idea of, like, Jude wanting to be a knight and kind of, like, transcending the normal course of action where I'm guessing only fairies can become knights really reminded me of Alana of Tortal, um, from the mm-hmm. Tortal books from Tamora mm-hmm. Pierce, which oldie, but a goodie, like we're going to do that for our 2021 author series. Julia, we're going to reread Tamora Pierce. It's going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it just, I don't know that like drive to like, want to be, like someone else but still retain your own independence. Um mm-hmm. and just have that same title really reminded me of Alana Tortal. Also now that I'm thinking about it, kind of reminiscent of like Brienne of Tarth from Game of Thrones.
0: Like That's being the first true.
1: woman knight and like
0: Oh, I also forgot. What it's literally on the back of the book. Uh Victoria Aviard's The Red Queen is another one that. where she's like going off to i mean she's like in a slightly different position where she's like fighting for her life but um it's like fighting to be a warrior okay sorry go on <laughs> she's literally on the back of the book That's <laughs> okay um okay to get into the palace
1: in chapter three they literally ride into a stone wall and it freaks jude out every time she's to close her eyes when they like ride through the wall and it's like i'm sorry platform nine and three quarters <laughs> that's what that is it's the mm-hmm. same thing magical barriers yeah. platform nine and three quarters accurate slightly also reminiscent to like Narnia like getting into this new world but I think platform nine and three quarters is more apt um, yeah it's it's not quite the same as going into the back of a wardrobe
0: <laughs>
1: right <laughs> Um, but I like that trope in fantasy books like having yeah. to go through a gateway of some sort Okay, I brought up the Hunger Games a lot more than I thought I was going to do in this podcast, (laughs) Um, but the pageantry of the fairy folk when they're like driving through court to kind of get to their spot where they're going to (laughs) stop, and the idea that there's this like hidden nightmare amongst all of the folk of fairy but it's so grand and beautiful on the surface, is really reminiscent of the grandeur of the capital in the Hunger Games, where like yeah. if you are born into that, if that is the society that you grow up in, you're perfectly safe and you're just going to be able to enjoy it and revel and have fun. But if you're an outsider, like in the case of Jude being a human or in the case of Katniss being from one of the districts coming in for the games – it's a battlefield that you have to figure out the right politics to be able to maneuver it appropriately to get people on your mm-hmm. side. Um, and it's shown in this sort of like film of beauty where everything is beautiful and grand on top, but that doesn't necessarily reflect what's underneath. Uh, so yeah, very reminiscent of the Capitol for me. Um, and then Steak Sticking with our theme of Greek references, oh, I mean, not very pop culturey, but whatever, a uh, Balakin's circle of influence, the, I already forgot the name of this stupid bird, um, the Grackles, I will never remember this, um, the circle of Grackles kind of reminded me of, like, a horde of, at least the way they were described, reminded me of, like, a horde of Dionysian followers, um, kind of like if all of those fae were to get together it would be a Bucknalia not just a normal party that they would revel and almost go mad and enjoy their madness um, which kind of aligns with some previous descriptions of the fae that they kind of get drunk off of the beauty of nature and like will just go completely wild and think people can get hurt in the process so it just was really reminiscent of the uh, descriptions of the followers of Dionysus or Bacchus to me. I also really love a good pickpocket. Yeah. It reminded me of Dodger from Oliver Twist. Aww. Or Aladdin. <laughs> and then you told me last time we recorded this that um, this girl has no plot further on it made me really sad because i thought
0: she was so important thing
1: yeah i was hoping she was going to be so important and i makes me sad but i'm still going to pretend in my mind that she's as important as dodger or aladdin because everyone is their own main character
0: it's just the point of view that the story is being told from that is true yeah you can write a whole fan fiction about this character if you want i could i won't (laughs) because i still need to (laughs) finish my (laughs) other Which I never will. Um, you yeah. started to. No, I didn't. Oh, you I didn't haven't touched that? it since college. Oh, no.
1: To be fair, <laughs> though, my computer died. Okay. So I can't recover any of the drafts. Okay. Sure. Nor do I know my password to log into to FanFace. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm, it's been a while. Um, okay. Last pop culture for chapter three. Cardin reminds me of Snape. Yeah. Like, he's full of disdain for everything <laughs> that's happening around him. The jet black hair, also very reminiscent. And he, as I was kind of mentioning earlier, like, punches down if he feels like he's being shown disrespect. Even though that there are better ways to garner respect than torturing children. Like it's a little bit different because the he's also still a child um, but there's you have that same power imbalance where like he's a ruling monarch in some capacity. Um, Snape's a professor. Like they both have power over the children that they're torturing and so the fact that they're punching down to yeah. like torture innocence, even if they're being little shits like is really frustrating and why I can never get on board with, like, Snape being a good person. Um,
0: I am a Snape defender. I will say that. Like, my mother, I think what was weird for me, though, is my mother called it literally from book two. Like, like, literally, like, when we got book two, when it was first published, Mm -hmm. she was like, I think that Snape's going to turn out to be a good guy. And so, like, in my head, as we were reading through Snape, I always, always, in, like, the back of my mind thinking, like, yeah. okay, like, he has something in his past that is making him turn out to be this way. Because in reality, he is actually a good person. His motives are just really miscued. I don't think the same could be said for Card. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair. I mean, Snape's definitely a complex character. I'll give you that. Yeah.
0: I don't think he's all good or all bad. Um... I, I just do. I will defend you and say that I think that movie Snape is a terrible Snape. I think he's an awful Snape.
1: I love Alan Rickman. I'm only well, watching. I love Alan Rickman. He watching the best Alan Snape ever. Rickman's Snape is the but only that, thing that got me back mm, on board a little bit with Snape. Like really, book seven Snape. Yes, Deathly Hallows mm. Snape played by Alan Rickman was so compelling. But book Snape, I can't. I can't overlook, even though his story is really compelling, in book seven, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that doesn't excuse
0: the way he treated the Hermione. Actions. Yeah. Yeah. He made well, that fun was, of her that's appearance. That's the part that, that always confused me, because I understood it, like, when we understood, like, his history, finally, mm-hmm. like, he should have been viewing Hermione as almost this, like, Alternative Lily, in a way. Like a muggle born who's incredibly smart and incredibly into the world of wizardry. That's the one thing I never quite understood. It was why he was so mean to Hermione. Because, so I think his love
1: for Lily and the fact that he grew up with Lily and she defended him a lot of times made him blind to Mm. her. Muggleborn status. Yeah. But tell. he was still very blood-sensitive in the way that all of the Death Eaters and Voldemort were. Like, he did not have good viewpoints about blood status in the world. Mm-hmm. That's why he gave preferential treatment to pure-blood Slytherins. Um, I mean, he didn't give preferential treatment to all pure-bloods, because he shit on Neville and he shit on Ron. <laughs> but he gave preferential treatment... To certain people based off of their status and not based off of their ability. And his love for Lily blinded him to that particular trait of Lily's. But I don't think he actually believed that mudbloods or muggleborns were equal with mm-hmm. half-bloods and purebloods. And like, that's why I don't see him as a redeemable character, even though. I'm glad he did the right thing, and I think he's a really complex and interesting character. He was so cruel to Mm -hmm. children when he had no background other than racist viewpoints to be cruel to those children. And putting Harry aside, he was mean to Neville. He was mean to Hermione, and he didn't have any reason to be mean to them other than he was being a dick. (laughs) And, like, I can't excuse that behavior towards children.
0: Yeah.
1: I couldn't excuse it with Umbridge. I'm not going to excuse it for Snape just because he did the right thing in the end. Anyways. So (laughs) Cardin, So Cardin reminds me of Snape. Meaning he probably is not redeemable in my eyes. Yeah. But we'll see. We shall see.
0: (laughs) We have three books. I don't think you're going to get
1: there on the first book. We're not. We're probably going to have to, like, quickly record those other ones. (laughs) Just so I can, like, read them. (laughs) Yeah, I think that we will. (laughs) Because I'm not going to be able to, like, wait (laughs) once I finish this book, I don't think.
0: I think that you will be happy with where the first book ends. Not okay. on Cardin, but where the where The, 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 the story general plot, is in the yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where it's headed.
1: <sighs> that is fair, that is fair. Okay, um, I don't have any more pop culture references, so... <gasps> Let's get
0: into our MVPs. MVPs? I am claiming. I know. Vivian. <laughs> I know. Vivi because I think that she's just so good in the way that she's like I'm going to hate you for the rest of my life and lo and behold she is hating him for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. and like as I said the whole Aria thing like she's I love that whole family loyalty like I mean I'm best friends with my parents like family loyalty as soon as I see a character with that I like feel good about that character because I Mm -hmm. think that goes a long way um and she's just great. Like, she's in a t-shirt and jeans, and she's in this, like, beautiful fairy realm where she could be, like, Jude and, like, completely in love with her surroundings and, like, the glitz and the glamour of it all. But she's like, no. Like, I don't care. She's probably gonna hop off just to the, i want to call it the muggle world. <laughs> the regular world. The human world. world. <laughs> the human world. Um, and just, you know, that's it. Yeah, But...
1: That's fair. Um, I know, Vivi was my favorite in these three chapters, but for MVP, I'm going to select Matic, not because I liked him the most, but because (laughs) from a most valuable player perspective, he did advance the plot the most by committing two murders and kidnapping children. This is true. Um, So there is that. Also, I can appreciate that he's a very complex person. fairy whatever we want to call him um because he clearly has feelings of remorse and responsibility and love um for people that he shouldn't really have those feelings for like Mm -hmm. no one even if he felt responsibility to take care of the two twins no one would have expected him to grow to love them or to treat them like his own kids. Like that's not normally expected in books. But he does that. Like he doesn't treat them any different mm-hmm. than he treats Oak and Vivian. So I really appreciate that from like a stepfather perspective, yes, although he murdered her their parents, <laughs> um he makes he's up reading for battle that. strategy to them. Yeah, he's prepping them. Um but he gives them love in a world where they're not getting a lot of it and while that's his Mm -hmm. fault he is at least doing what he can to make up for the situation um and like i said he advances the plot so vatic it is
0: a good point (laughs) yep uh all right why don't you give us your wine review so my review isn't a wine (laughs) it's a cocktail i need to rename (laughs) this column (laughs) Um, It is a Long Island iced tea because it's a whole lot going at once. You literally take a couple sips of it and the next thing you know you are drunk as heck. (laughs) don't have any idea what's going on, completely lost. Does it taste good? Yes. Do you want more of it? Yes. But you also know that you're just going to get way drunker and you're going to be even more confused by the time you're done with the glass. True. um so i would say an 8 out of 10 long island i see great
1: <laughs> great and for my wine corner which this is a new segment for those of you who don't know uh it's about whining so how much the characters whine basically how much unnecessary angst there are in the various chapters that we're reading every week and you know i think while there is a little bit of tears a a little bit of sadness going on in these chapters. It's all very justified. Like, Taryn is justified (laughs) in crying as a seven-year-old watching her parents get murdered in front of her. And Jude, for the most part, is our narrator, is very cool. Like, she doesn't get upset, really. She's just kind of explaining things. She's really chill. Vivi is super chill. Like, she may be angry, but it's like a cold, calculating angry. It's not angsty. It's not whiny. Um... So, I don't really think there is a lot of angst in these couple of chapters, Uh, so I'm going to give it a a 2 out of 10 for (laughs) angst levels, which, again, for listeners, that's good. The lower the number, that means the less unnecessary
0: angst there is, which is what we want. (laughs) It's the opposite of my wide review.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yours is like actual quality of the chapters. (laughs) Mine's just how much did they bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Excellent. goodness. All right. Well that brings us to the end of our podcast.
0: So I love that um, we before we even started this podcast, we were like, we're gonna make it super short. We didn't make it short. <laughs> we made it longer than the first time we
1: fake recorded this. <laughs> oh, I still had as many Lord of the Rings tangents as I had the first time, so Clearly we just we waited too long cuz we forgot everything that we said yeah, and then just magically said it all again. <laughs> it's oh, fine.
0: it's the uh, holidays.
1: Yeah, we're we got time. It's fine. Um All right. Well, this is the end of the podcast. So, thank you if you've managed to make it this far of um, If you have any thoughts about the book or general comments on life other books you want us to check out, read, recommendations for books, because clearly we read way too much. Feel <laughs> free to email us at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on social media, though we're really shit at posting on it. Yeah. Um, but we're going to eventually get better once we get into it. I'm the
0: worst at
1: social media. Which is hilarious because you're in a web based. Oh, I know. <laughs> Don't talk about it. <laughs> so hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we got to a more regular schedule, but we'll see. Um, but you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod, and on Twitter at UnAngstPod. Pod. And I'm sure you're already listening to this on your favorite podcasting app but you can pretty much find us on any podcasting app so if there's a place that you like to listen to podcasts and you haven't been able to find us let us know and we'll try to get the podcast on there um and that's pretty much it so thanks for tuning in and we hope to hear from you all sorry for the lengthy episode all right bye (laughs) bye